Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older folks howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs talk about how we've become inundated with information and how hard it is to determine the truth. Our first pod nugget introduces you to a Kentucky town that has a dog for a mayor. We report on how folks are being overloaded with information these days. We bring you another installment of Aging is Awesome. We read some of the hilarious signage people have seen around the country. And we tell the sad story of an abysmally bungling burglar. The Old Dog's Conversation is with Arthur Schechter, a lawyer, diplomat, humanist, and friend to some of the most colorful politicians of our recent past. Stay with us. So, Paul, Yo. what is on your mind? We have a pod nugget in today's episode about information overload. Oh, yeah. And how we become selective about what we are going to be listening to. And that brought up a point for me. How do you know who to trust for your factual information? Well, that's a good question. It's I suppose that either consciously or unconsciously, I'm asking that every time I get information. Uh, Do I believe this? I would say this, that I would trust a person who can back up uh, an assertion with some sort of evidence. Yes. And and I've gotten in the habit of doing that. When Mm -hmm. somebody asserts something, I'll say, oh, how do you know that? Or where did you read about that? Yeah. And in most cases, that ends that discussion. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have the facts at hand. I know. And that seems to be a difficulty, especially uh, on the social media that I frequent, uh, that people make all kinds of assertions, and with some vigor, I might add, Mm. uh, but don't usually support uh, those assertions with any kind of fact. If I want factual information... I will probably go to a news channel, and Mm -hmm. I tend to trust that. But even there, I watch CNN fairly regularly, Mm -hmm. but occasionally I'll switch to Fox News Mm -hmm. just to see what a different take on that same information would sound like. Yeah. Uh, You know, an additional uh, observation is that uh, when one looks for information, let's say about a product or service, what pops up? is Yelp, for example. And I know that many people are willing to trust the opinion of a total stranger rather than uh, the information that they could get by perhaps more um, evidence-based means. Yeah, and, and since I have heard that a lot of these testimonials are faked, Right, are put on there by the uh, the particular the, business right, that yeah. um, that has that testimonial. Uh-huh. I I become even more skeptical, and and I think that part of the uh, part of the content in the pod nugget was we tend to uh, listen to and value friends' opinions, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes more than somebody who is an acknowledged authority in a field. Yeah, and that could be very dangerous when you're talking about matters of. National interest or life and death, for example. Yeah, I think maybe that's a side benefit of of the COVID situation that we're in is that we've become more questioning about 
what information we take in. I hope so. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. But then the question remains, how can we be sure? How do we know? Uh, you can call me. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story about a small Kentucky town that's gone to the dogs, and the residents think it's a lot of fun. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for November 9th, 2020. Rabbit Hash is a town. How about that? Rabbit Hash, Rabbit Paul. Hash. Love it. <laughs> Rabbit Hash is a town of 500 people in Boone County, Kentucky. In 1998, Boone County celebrated their 200th anniversary and suggested that all the mayors in the county honor that birthday in some fashion. Well, Rabbit Hash never had a mayor, and the <laughs> residents seemed to like it that way. A local named Don Clare came up with the idea that a dog should be mayor. So the mayor of Rabbit Hash has been a dog ever since. The Historical Society began facilitating town elections as a way to raise money for maintaining the town buildings. Anyone from anywhere in the world can vote anytime and often if they're willing to pay a dollar for a ballot. Playing loose with voter registration would be a scandal if it weren't so doggone funny. The campaign seasons typically start in late August when candidates parade around town and stage rallies. This year, there were 16 candidates for mayor. Wilbur, a six-month-old French bulldog, barely edged out the incumbent, Brineth Paltrow, a brown and white pit bull. Wilbur's official duties include sitting on the porch of the general store, taking pictures with visitors, and chewing on bones. I could handle that job. You know, we tend to believe trusted friends over acknowledged authorities that we don't know. And this is how fake news spreads. This pod nugget is from Scientific American for November 2020. The problem is cognitive bias. We prefer to get information from our circle of friends. We're more likely to share information about risks to our way of life. And we search for and remember things that fit well with what we know and understand. These biases are amplified by information directed to us over the Internet based on algorithms developed through our past online activity. Search engines direct us to sites that confirm our suspicions about perils and conspiracies. Social media connects us with like-minded people, which feeds our worst fears. Compounding the problem is the overwhelming amount of information available online or through news channels and other cable and streaming programming. Unable to process all this material, we let our cognitive biases guide what we pay attention to. These biases influence what information we search for, remember, and repeat. The result is a closed information loop that amplifies what we already believe and excludes conflicting points of view. This makes us easy targets for polarization. It's a problem for both sides of the political spectrum. We become segregated into large and increasingly misinformed communities, which could be described as echo chambers. A good example is the misinformation that's been spread about COVID-19. It has politicized the sound advice provided by unbiased medical authorities. At best, the information on social media is just opinion, and at worst, a cynical manipulation of our beliefs. We need to exercise a skepticism about what we read, view, or send on to others. And maybe we need to take an occasional break from all media when we're experiencing overload. Yeah, but you know, Paul, if it weren't for social media... 
I would never have found out that extraterrestrials have taken over CNN. Is that true? Well, yeah, my cousin Mike said so. From the pages of Seniorly.com, why aging is awesome. Did you know that as we age, we lose some bones along the way? It so happens we are born with 350 bones, but over time our bones fuse together, leaving us with 206 bones as adults. I guess that's awesome, because as we age, we have fewer bones to break. Yeah, that's what I call making lemonade, Paul. Here's something that's a little different from our usual pod nuggets, but uh, something we found really interesting by visiting a website called Pets Reporter. They found some questionable signs that will make you laugh out loud. You know, we're all familiar with warning signs. We see them on the roads, in stores, and in many other public places. Here are a few that we think will get your attention. The first sign was obviously posted on a fence that enclosed wild animals, and it reads, Please be safe. Do not stand, sit, climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that (laughs) might make them sick. Thank you. (laughs) Here's a sign found inside a public building. In case of fire, exit building before tweeting about it. And this sign was probably posted on an enclosure that uh, contained a bull. It reads, do not cross this pasture unless you can do it in nine seconds, because the bull can do it in (laughs) ten. This one was found on a beach. It says, do not walk on rocks. If you do and file suit claiming injury, this sign will be marked Exhibit A. And how about this one? This sign could work in any store that uh, attracts families. <laughs> Unattended children will be given an espresso and a free puppy. Yay! <laughs> a local swimming pool came up with this advice. Don't drown. It will ruin your day. And here's a fascinating one. This is actually printed on the paper Uh, that goes around a a metal hanger, and it says, Caution, do not swallow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if you've ever been in a corn maze, you'll appreciate this message. Attention! If you become lost or confused in the corn maze, stay calm. Don't panic. Help is on the way. Every Thursday morning, we send a rescue team into the maze to bring out everyone left from the previous weekend. They are highly trained and can usually locate over two-thirds of those left behind. And this sign, kind of an odd one, was posted in a nature preserve in Africa. It reads, Beware of Falling Deer. Leopards conceal their unfinished food in the tops of trees. Oh, my. (laughs) They need another sign that says, beware of leopards looking for their meal. (laughs) And finally, this one was found in a factory. Warning, to avoid injury, don't tell me how to do my job. A bungling burglar in England made it easy for the police to track him down. This pod nugget is from Sky News for October 14th, 2020. Malcolm Pike broke into a garage in East Harrington and stole several hundreds of dollars worth of cleaning equipment. In his haste to get away, he left behind a rucksack containing letters with both his name and address. Brilliant. The police easily tracked him down at his home address. The stolen cleaning equipment had been left out in the open. Perhaps he thought he had made a cleaning getaway. I'm sorry. 
Pike was arrested and is now serving four years in jail. And let's hope they teach him a new trade while imprisoned. What's wrong with cleaning? Arthur Schechter is a man whose family life in a small Texas town gave him a humanistic perspective on a world he would travel extensively. A lawyer, a diplomat, but never a politician, Arthur can tell stories you've never heard about folks you have heard of. We would like to kind of get a feel for your life uh, and the amazing adventures that you have had. Uh, you started off as a lawyer and somehow got into politics. Uh, tell us what the high points have been for you. I've, I've just been very lucky my whole life. Uh, I grew up in a small town with an immigrant father and a mother who was a sixth-generation American and a family that was, uh, we were taught not to judge anybody by color, which was really, as I look back, inconsistent on the way things were actually in the community. You know, then I went off to the University of Texas, and at the University of Texas, I was deeply involved in every kind of campus activity there was. Then came to Houston 50 years ago or so and started practicing law and ended up in a trial practice that evolved into an admiralty practice, had very good close, never lie to you, you never lie to me, never stab me in the back, I never stab you in the back relationships, <laughs> which I now uh, believe probably have disappeared in the bar generally over the last decade or two. And uh, it allowed me to have clients from all over the world, literally. So all in all, I was very lucky professionally. Well, you were an ambassador to the Bahamas, is that right? I was. When was that? I was appointed in 1998, I think it was. Of course, not only jumped at the chance, I actually, of course, campaigned for it by the time I was ready to do it, and it was pretty easy for me to do that. And uh, there, were, there were a couple of funny kind of events there. Tell us well, about that. They had a meeting in the Bahamas where they had advertised that uh, they were going to have a big group of uh, lawyers and planners and uh, estate planners meeting in the Bahamas in a big ballroom there to go over ways to escape taxes. So the IRS sent a whole bunch of delegates over. <laughs> and uh, I really felt like, like kind of a, a traitor to my, my, my fellow Americans <laughs> at that point. Went there and, and uh, signed up for the thing and sat in the meetings and got a complete list of every participant. And I don't know what happened to them after that, but I suspect that they got a very careful look from the IRS. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, right. So that, that one. And then we had uh, uh, one vessel come in at, right, at, right at Christmas time. And, of course, he, this was a U.S. Coast Guard vessel. And they picked up, you know, 50, 75, 80, 90 uh, Haitians that were trying to get out of Haiti after one of the crises there and get into the Bahamas. Oh, uh, yeah. And I understand that uh, one of the refugees was pregnant. Yeah. She went into labor after they took her onto the deck of the Coast Guard vessel. This, And as I said, it was right at Christmas time, literally made perhaps uh, symbolically. And she gave birth to that baby on the U.S. Coast Guard vessel. 
And of course, the baby immediately became an American citizen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was all proud to go there and and root for her uh, admission to the hospital there with her new American baby citizen and get all the treatment she needed. We got extremely close to uh, Sir Orville Turnquist, whose family is still uh, very prominent in the Bahamas. Sir Orville and his wife, Edith, and Joyce and I ended up traveling the world together. On one occasion, we went to Italy together, and uh, the flag of the ship in Chetavecchio was a Bahamian flag vessel, and the captain came out to, to greet Sir Orville as the head of state of the government there. And uh, I told the captain, I said, you're a really, this is your lucky day. Or he said, why? I said, well, because I'm a kind of a jokester and uh, I can't order you to do anything. But Sir Orville is the head of state of this country and under, uh, under international maritime law, he can order you to do anything he wants you to do and take this vessel any place we want to go. And we've decided we want to go to China. After <laughs> <laughs> we just looked at me as Scotsman and Orville <laughs> told that we were joking. <laughs> well, Arthur, let me ask you this. Um, it sounds to me that you are extremely uh, focused on people who perhaps you could call underrepresented uh, in society. How has that guided your life? I think uh, on a daily basis, to one degree or another. And, you know, my wife got as involved as I, as I did it when once she got there and finally accepted the idea that we were going to be there for a while. And, uh, you know, there was an old folks home there that had uh, about 12 beds. And it was their only facility for the elderly there. And they had a roof that leaked and all this kind of stuff. And she actually raised enough money to get that all completely repaired there while we were there. Uh, in fact, the newspapers there referred to her as an angel from Texas. Mm-hmm. No one ever called me an angel from anywhere, so I've always been a little <laughs> But I still look around and can't believe that I saw and witnessed and had the opportunity to do. I'm just grateful that I can be about it. You know, Arthur, uh, Texas has a reputation for colorful politicians. Barbara Jordan, Ralph Yarborough, Mickey Leland. You got any Ann Richards stories? Oh, God, you want me to write a book? Oh, please do. (laughs) In fact, I'm in the process of doing exactly that. Oh, yeah? Well, tell us a couple if you got them. I know the first Christmas part I got from Ann, she was still in Dallas. So that was a long, long, long time ago. And the Christmas card was she and her buddy, woman, holding a baby. And they were dressed <laughs> in uh, like the people in the Bible on the, holding the baby Jesus. And uh, you open it up and says, oh, my goodness, it's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> she took great pleasure over the years. And... Uh, creating laugh jokes around me. And I got some sort of national award that Ann had previously gotten. And she came to speak. And, of course, she saved the evening because the national president of this organization came down to speak, and he was just terrible. And she saved the evening by being Ann, you know. Mm -hmm. She insisted on telling the story of the time that we were in England 
And she decided that we were going to go and we were going to sit with one line on one side of the the International Date Line, so that we can say we had been in both date lines at the same time. So she's in charge of all of this. So we we take this car to the base of this very tall, steep mountain. And I got about halfway up, and I just couldn't make it anymore. And she's still trumping along. <laughs> and so I kind of s- sit down, and she tells the story now. And I got to the top, and I looked around, and I looked around, and there was Arthur. Where was Arthur? <laughs> And there was Arthur, he looked like a dead fish laying down halfway. <laughs> and uh, I finally make it to the top, and we stand the way she wanted to stand. And I was still panting, trying to catch my breath. Uh, I looked up, and about 20 feet above us, there was a big structure together with a very large parking lot where people drove up. Drove up, of course. <laughs> drove up and went down to the line. She couldn't tell that no. part of the story. The mother, the mother planner. <laughs> she had a lot of fun telling that story all over the country. Where poor Arthur couldn't make it up the mountain, you know. <laughs> well, you know, you, know the, you mentioned a lot of these great stories that you're telling us occurred during the Clinton administration. Uh, and I imagine you had a relationship with Bill Clinton. How do you mean that? <laughs> I mean it in the worst way. Yes, were you involved? Oh, no, in the worst way didn't happen. Were you involved romantically? I think is what he's asking. Bill Clinton. I mean, my own daughter Leslie danced with him one night at the, at the White House at one of these events, and she got in the car and said, "You know, Daddy, I really wanted to go home with him." <laughs> I said, "Well, pity you couldn't, because you're you know you got a husband and two children at home, and you know, <laughs> but." Um, was he one of the last politicians that could have a good conversation with you, whether you're Republican or Democrat? Maybe not one of the last politicians, but certainly over the last decade or so, it's gotten more and more difficult. I mean, even where you have people with wonderful backgrounds, like John Kerry, whether you're a big admirer of John Kerry's politics or not, his background and what he had done and his protest of the war in Vietnam and all of that kind of business were really pretty heroic. Yet during that campaign, they mocked him in a very cruel way and uh, accused him of lying about his background in Vietnam, which nobody had ever questioned. And the same with McCain to some degree. McCain let the country down when he selected the vice president as a candidate that nobody could see as president of the United States and thought that we were better served where she could stay home and watch the Russians for us on the West Coast, <laughs> you know. You know, this yeah. country has never been more divided, maybe since the 60s. What, what do you see? How can we bring the uh, United States together again? I think the real needs of our society need to be addressed. I mean, we need to be realistic about what we really need in rebuilding our economy. And then we have to address the realities that, that um, you know, it, to, to me, it's almost, it's beyond criminal that we sit in a country like this one and we see the uh, federal food programs being abolished and the federal school lunch programs, in which many of these kids were getting their only uh, meals of the week, and to see people lined up to get charity packages of food, those problems are multipliers 
where you see families with four or five children being put out on the street in eviction in America. I mean, what's the deal here? Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.